It's time for Tupelo Tom and Big Lou talking. And now, here's Tupelo Tom and Big Lou. I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And And we're we're talking. talking. That's right. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good night, Jeff. How are you? I am doing wonderful, and it's so great to be back with you. Are we on the air? Is that what you would call it? We're in the, we're in a, we're in somebody's car right now. I know that. We are uh, in someone's car. We're in someone's uh, ear at the gym. Yes. We're in someone's uh, headphones walking their dog, and uh, it's it's kind of scary that they can take us anywhere. And good for you, people. Thank you for listening. It's the May episode of Talking, and we apologize. We're getting out a little bit late in this month of April, uh, and one of the reasons for that, I don't want to like to make excuses, but our excuse is. Uh, that both of us were producing uh, festivals uh, at the beginning of the April month, end of March, beginning of April, uh, for myself and Brian Mays, the Nashville Elvis Festival, and for for Jeff and his uh, Gamma Ray Division, you guys were working on Helen, and that took us up almost to the middle of the month. That's right. We had Jeff Lewis and friends in Helen, Georgia. We call it our Elvis vacation, and basically with Nashville and Helen back-to-back, we had our own little spring fever, so it was a lot of fun. It was amazing. I uh, spent most of the day on the Monday between sleeping in Nashville and then got up on Tuesday. And once again, in driving to Helen, took a way I'd never been before. I, it's like every time I come into that, that, that area and Unicoi, the GPS just routes me some different way. And I never know what side I'm coming in on. And there are actually moments that it even loses satellite connection, which I think is just their way of saying, we have no idea how to get to Helen. We're just going to wing this. So I can tell you, uh, I'm a huge fan, still am, of the show Lost. <laughs> and there's um, an episode when it kind of jumped the shark a little, but I still loved it, where the island disappears and moves. You can move the island. I'm convinced that's what's happening with Helen, that it's not really there. And every time we go, it just gets moved somewhere else. Yeah. Well, a- being a musical theater person, it's Brigadoon to me. It just, if I don't get there in time, it vanishes in the haze and it's not back for a while. Because so, I, I do think sometimes I've driven past it and come back to it from another direction. <laughs> right. But we're going to review uh, Nashville, uh, our thoughts and reviews of Nashville Elvis Festival and Jeff Lewis and Friends coming up at the end of this episode. But uh, as we uh, kick off this uh, this edition of Talking, we have to quickly address our incredibly bad uh, Oscar record of predictions that we had. Uh, We had predicted a clean sweep, which was, again, you know, a little enthusiastic on our part, Um, a little forward thinking that uh, the Elvis movie would sweep at the Academy Awards. Uh, And in fact, instead of going eight and oh, it went oh and eight. Which is absolutely ridiculous. I thought, um, I saw most of the films that that won and, and, and I can see where they were coming from. The one that really got me, the... Austin not getting best actor, I kind of joked about. I know Brandon Fraser, I'm a fan of his. I I love his comeback story. I know the film is very heartbreaking, but I kind of joked. I said, basically, he put on a fat suit and cried. Well, that's my everyday life. So how hard was that? (laughs) Whereas Austin literally played eight different characters when you consider how he managed to, to portray Elvis so uniquely different in his different accents and different eras of the same era. I thought it was just perfection. And and I think there may have been just a, some kind of bias against a big Baz picture, you know? Well, I, I can tell you from having been a part of the, the Hollywood scene uh, back years ago, uh, that is 
a, obviously a political organization. Uh, there's a reason Elvis, uh, the movie, won three Golden Globes. Um, uh, well, three Golden Globe uh, nominations and, and uh, Austin won for Best Actor because that's international press, mm-hmm. the Golden Globe. The international press votes on that, and they saw uh, Austin's performance. Uh, Baz is not a, a California-based uh, film director, producer. He is entirely Australia. Uh, the entire movie, every frame of the Elvis movie was shot in Australia using Australian crews, Australian actors, uh, besides the leads. And uh, he's just not a Hollywood guy. So I, I think, and I talked to Jerry Schilling after the Academy Awards, and Jerry said that they kind of felt that it would it was not going to do well. Just because of that political thing, It was uh, it's a time to reward people of Hollywood, by Hollywood. And the Brendan Fraser story is a great comeback story. He was kind of, um, uh, he had claimed he had been sexually harassed years ago by uh, some people. And that, they say, cut out his opportunity to star in motion pictures as payback. And this was his big comeback. And, you know, Elvis fans, you have to reward a comeback. Uh, Brendan Fraser, everybody loved him. Uh, He's been slowly making his way back into the spotlight with some supporting roles. And this was a big deal. And usually, if you can portray someone with some type of, uh, I, I can't think of another word other than affliction, but if you're in some way have some difference about your character, you can go back and look at actors who have played uh, blind characters or crippled characters or just any physical kind of. Th- I'm very politically incorrect here, but the you go back and look at who's won for playing those kind of roles, and this was an opportunity for Brendan. I would have preferred him to gone the you know the Robert De Niro way. If you're going to play that, let's you know let's gain the weight. But hey, the the makeup was great too. So I've, and I've only seen clips, and I won't be seeing the movie because it's not the kind of movie. It doesn't look a feel good movie to me. And and at my age, I want to feel good. I don't have time to see that. And I personally have enough fat in my life that I don't I don't need to go to the movies to watch it. And again, I, I I want to point out, I think we both agree that this is not an anti who won thing. I just felt that Austin should have won. I felt the movie should have done better. And I think the Australian uh, connection and the lack of the California connection certainly had a lot to do with that. But the bottom line, Austin gave us an incredible performance and we have an incredible movie uh, that has now spread all over the world that's spreading Elvis's name to young people who may have never gotten into Elvis. They are now. And, and we've seen evidence of that uh, for all of us at all the festivals we've, uh, we've attended. And, and uh, especially just recently in Nashville and, and Helen, Georgia, a lot of young people uh, coming to Elvis, coming to the music, discovering him. He's not their grandparents uh, singer anymore. He's, he's someone they're discovering. And I, I envy those people yeah. because I, I sat down the other day and looked at a list of songs Elvis recorded, and there's just hundreds and hundreds of songs they're going to be hearing for the first time. Yeah, and movies uh, that they're going to be seeing for the first time. So I I envy them from that, and and welcome to the club. Uh, don't let the uh, don't let the gripey people turn you off of it. Uh, sometimes uh, fans are protective of Elvis, but we should be inclusive of the new fans that are here. Yeah, and uh, if we want to fight about something, go to the back room and not in front of the kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And uh, with that said, the other thing we had talked about in the last episode that we were looking forward to was Agent Elvis. And uh, I know since that has dropped, and the the beauty of Netflix, there's a lot of different ways that um, 
programs drop on different streaming services. Some of them like HBO. I love the TV show Succession. And I have to, I'm currently waiting on the next episode. They drop one every Sunday night and I have to wait on the next one. And I'm such a fan of the show. I can't, I can't let it build up two or three. I have to, I watch one immediately when it comes out. Uh, I really kind of like the Netflix way, but then again, if there's something you really like, you can consume it quickly and get it over with and not really even enjoy it as much as tick it off. Uh, Agent Elvis dropped all 10 episodes. Uh, back a few weeks ago, and people had the opportunity to go online and see it. And even though warned, even though warned by us, even though warned by a lot of people, even though warned by the amazing disclaimer on the beginning of every episode uh, that said, uh, you know, uh, the following contains gore, language, nudity, smoking, and violence, even with that in place, even hearing that it was something they knew was going to offend them, like a scab, they couldn't stop scratching. They went ahead and <laughs> pulled it off and complained yeah. that it was bleeding again. So. Uh, and I have to say, uh, had it not been for the professionalism that we both, I believe, have, Jeff, yes, um, I might not have stayed with it till the very last episode, not because it turned me off and, and offended me, because words seldom offend me because they are, in fact, only words. Um, what offended me uh, as a student of comedy was the fact that when there was an easy joke and a hard joke, they went for the easy joke. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of building something up and not having to have a laugh every, or something humorous every 30 seconds. If there's something that could be implied as dirty or risque and you can wink and nod at it, but continue on without saying anything about it. I'm more a fan of that. In this case, they went down there in the mud and they made the joke about it, which after a while becomes rather dulling um, to me. It, it tends to lose its effectiveness uh, after a while. So Jeff and I came up with the idea of we're not going to review the, the shows. You either going to like it, or you're not going to like it. What Jeff and I want to talk about is the Elvisness of Agent Elvis. Um, how did how correct did they get some of the things that are referenced in there? Things that you might think they wouldn't even notice. What celebrities were referenced within it? What situations from American history were referenced in it? And I think that's what kept me watching, Jeff. These uh these little Easter eggs is what kept me really interested in the show. And you know, the the thing about the disclaimer and people that were complaining, as is the case a lot of times, I would read the following sentence and it drives me crazy. I think it's horrible. I'm never going to watch it. Well, then how do you know it's horrible? I'm like you, Tom. Uh, language has never bothered me. I've been to all 50 states. I've been to about 40 countries. The United States, which I love, is obviously where I live, and it's the country I uh, adore, and I'm so proud to be an American, as they say. But <clears throat> we're one of the few places that that's actually an issue. And when people visit from England or Australia, they're they're kind of amused at how offended Americans can get by language. I respect that. I respect that if some people are offended by that. And I, I unfortunately do have a sailor's mouth as they say, but, um, I try to be, um, cognizant of those that get offended by that kind of thing. When I watched agent Elvis, I was excited, of course, cause I do get into some of that kind of, uh, childish humor or whatever you want to call it. It just didn't strike me as that funny. I, I agree with you. I always thought they kind of went for the the obvious joke and just kind of gross to be gross or cuss to cuss or whatever. 
I was still happy something is out there and I hope they do another season. I hope maybe the writing gets a little more creative. I actually talked with people that are fans of that genre. I think Archer, which I never saw, Mm -hmm. but from what I understand, it was kind of in that vein. And I hear Archer is hilarious. I just hadn't had a chance to watch it. I think South Park is hilarious, even though I don't watch it as often as I'd like. I thought the Simpsons certainly for a while was a brilliant family guy. So I'm certainly a fan of that kind of thing. But I talked to somebody who was a fan of Archer and was really excited about this. And she wasn't a big fan of it either. She just thought they missed on a lot of the humor. That being said, a lot of people talked about Matthew McConaughey didn't sound like a, well, good, I don't care. He, he, to me, he got the essence of Elvis. And that's all I cared about. But yeah, I, 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 I'm like you. I loved a lot of the uh, references, the cultural references. And I hope they make another season and maybe just write it a little better. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. You know, you, you hire Matthew McConaughey and he brings his own Matthew McConaughey-ness to the role. And, uh, and I want to hear that. Yeah. Like Matthew's got a cool style of talk. He's got a very cool essence. Uh, the fact that he even did this shows uh, his love of Elvis. And I remember uh, it, I, it was probably over a year ago, I guess, during Elvis week. Priscilla had told me backstage who was going to be the voice of Elvis, but she said, but you can't say anything about it on stage. So I knew about it kind of beforehand. And I mean, these are, these are episodes that I think it might've been the last talk and podcast we did where I, I think it might've been 19 that Priscilla and I talked about this, something like that. You can go back and listen to it and see Uh, it takes years to get these shows done, the animation and everything. And by reading the credits at the end, it looked like it was done in Canada. Uh, so the essence of it for me was just how Elvisy was it. And, uh, from the very beginning, uh, just a couple of the things that I, I thought were interesting his, um, and by the way, if, if you haven't seen the show, uh, spoiler alert, I may be saying something that is dramatically held back in early episodes. So when it's revealed in a later episode, it's a shock. So spoiler alert, in reviewing 10 episodes, I might say something that gives something away in episode six. So come back to this later after you've watched them all um, and and listen to this. But, you know, ding, 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 spoiler alert. I could say something that'll ruin this for you. By the way, um, Wizard of Oz, it was all a dream. I, I just I have to say that. <laughs> and Rosebud um, was a bicycle. Uh, it was a sled. A sled, uh, yeah. You're trying now. You're trying to confuse people, Jeff. <laughs> right. Now they're going. There's no bike. It was only a sled. A, a snow bicycle. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, with no wheels. <laughs> and and so sometimes you wonder, you know, how in today's world, you know, like how long do you hold back on a spoiler? Do you yeah. wait until all the episodes have dropped? Do you give people an opportunity to watch them all? So I say, anytime you're clicking on something that has to do with any show you're watching, you may not want to click on that mm-hmm. just you know self-preserve yourself so on this we may say something but from the very beginning uh his contact kind of within the uh the spy world was a girl named cc Ryder, <laughs> and uh she said it's cc with an e so he for the rest of the series he called her cc with an e and i love that her name was cc Ryder, and that she worked for tcb which was the central bureau kind of the um mi6 you know of the from the James Bond world. But I loved the uh, celebrities represented within the series. There were um, animated versions of Dean Martin at Trader Vic's, which, by the way, was architecturally correct in the series. 
That's cool. Uh, the exterior shot of Trader Vic's. Trader Vic's used to be outside the Beverly Hilton Hotel where I used to stay all the time, and I would walk around to go into Trader Vic's to get a Mai Tai or, or a Mai Tai or two, <laughs> and or a Mai Tai one on, as <laughs> we used to say. Um, it, architecturally, it was exactly the way it was. You could see the, the you could see the building, the, the Hilton behind it, and I thought somebody cared enough to make that architecturally correct. Uh, Red Fox pops up uh, in the uh, in the series as a friend of Elvis's, as Red Fox, in fact, was uh, of Elvis. Uh, Howard Hughes is kind of the Q of uh, of of the uh, TCB organization, which I thought was kind of fun. Yeah, because Howard was known for having his big spruce goose airplane and was also known for saving his uh, his uh, well, his urine into jars. Uh, and that was dealt with in a humorous way, considering that it was acid laced. Yes. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine at work at the radio station and they said, well, why was Howard Hughes wearing concrete blocks on his feet? And they didn't explain this in Agent Elvis, but in fact, Howard uh, in his later years when he was, uh, you know, cuckoo, uh, wore Kleenex boxes on his feet. So those were not concrete blocks. Those were Kleenex boxes. (laughs) So... Uh, I don't know what he did with the cleaner. Uh, Walter Cronkite was in there on the news. Um, at one point, they're shooting uh, Change of Habit, and uh, Mary Tyler Moore is referenced, and the nuns are referenced. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was the guy responsible for faking the moon landing, uh, which I thought was a wonderful reference. That was funny. One of the only TCB band members uh, referenced was Ronnie Tut. Yep who Elvis just beat the crap out of in one of the episodes. And then I believe that episode was actually dedicated to his memory. Yeah. So that was a b- little bizarre, uh, but it was great to see Ron there. Uh, then you get into the weird stuff. Uh, Elvis uh, grapples with Charles Manson and the family. That was rather strange. Yes. Uh, it, it seemed like in a way, this was the forest. This was Elvis from about 68 to 73 as Forrest Gump, like rubbing up against every historic figure that could have been during that during that time. Did you get that feeling? It was kind of Forrest Gumpy. I did. I did. I liked the. You know, I thought, even though I didn't think the Scatter Monkey character was brought much to it. I, you know, they certainly there was a Scatter. Indeed, yeah, it did exist. Um, and I, th- you know, I loved all the concepts. You know, the Manson thing, and and I kept just waiting, like, okay, come on now, come on now, come on now, and it just didn't quite. Just never quite grabbed me, but I did think that, you know, I think it might be one of those that the more you watch it and the more you get used to the rhythm of the show, maybe it'll get better. You know, maybe we'll yeah. like it better. Yeah. They, they had the Manson family. They, they referenced Bay of Pigs. Uh, they referenced the Altamont concert riot, uh, which are hard things. These are hard things to make comedy out of <laughs> right. Granted, the Manson murder. Uh, <laughs> some people might find that not humorous. Um, I love the Elvis Nixon episode. Yeah. There were a lot. Elvis went into the episode loving Nixon, and by the end of it, hated Nixon. Uh, I loved the passing reference. Uh, a couple, what I loved about it, a lot of this show was the passing things that were in the background, or even in the foreground for a second or two that you had to kind of get the reference. Uh, at one point, there's a bowling team walking around the White House, and they have on uh, the name of their team is the Plumbers Bowling Team, <laughs> right. and that was the name of you know the group of guys who did all the break-ins for for Nixon. Uh, Elvis got his badge in the episode, which I thought was was nice. Um, so there there were a lot of things like that 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 I that I thought were fun. And and also at the end of that episode, uh, Howard Hughes meets up with um, uh, Bob Woodward, uh, 
and says, wow, you really look like Robert Redford. That was funny. You know, Woodford and Bernstein were the guys that broke the story on Watergate. This, it just, you know, as I was making this list out of things that were happening, it just started seeming like they had a, a dartboard and, and they were just throwing a dart up going, okay, and uh, we just, okay, the dart just landed on George Lucas. We got to get George Lucas in. Yeah, here. yeah. So uh, George Lucas is in there with even a Star Wars reference about the lightsaber and the, and the lights, laser sword. Uh, they go to Griffith's Observatory. Um, I noticed early in the episodes, uh, the news agency was Wolf News uh, on some of the cameras. And I thought that was a play on Fox News. <laughs> but, at the, but at the very end, you find out something about Wolf that you might not have expected his connection to be to it. And even though I could freely say what it is, I, I'm still going to hold back on that. Now that you make this list, uh, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this thing. It's sounding kind of funny now. You know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, I got to tell you, I loved uh, Birdie, who was kind of the uh, liaison of Elvis's uh, family life at Graceland. Uh, Birdie represented that with the cooks and, and everybody that took care of Elvis at Graceland. Um, his friend, uh, voiced by Johnny Knoxville, uh, in the, in the series, whose name I'm blanking on Billy Ray. I think it was Billy Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, voiced by Johnny Knoxville kind of, you know, encompasses all the mafia guys. Yeah. He wore a blue Hawaii t-shirt. I have a feeling that blue Hawaii t-shirt will be available soon Mm -hmm. at a gift shop. So they kind of represented, you know, it's hard to animate 13 guys, you know, with Elvis as the, as the mafia, it would have been a little cost prohibitive. Uh, so I, I, I like that part of it. Uh, Historically, Elvis-wise, uh, we heard Viva Las Vegas. We heard Change of Habit, Rubbernecking, Burning Love, which I expected. Memphis, Tennessee, I kind of expected. But then they did No Room to Rumba in a sports car. I couldn't believe that, a, yeah. And most of these had fight scenes with them. And then Golden <laughs> Coins from Harem Scarum. Yeah. They even worked that song in there. <laughs> that was pretty cool. You know, one thing I don't like, and I wish people would stop doing they're not going to, but <laughs> stop telling me what Elvis would have thought of something. We don't know. We, you know, people say, uh, Elvis, uh, I've actually heard people say Elvis never cussed. I'm like, what? Have you not heard the recording? You know, things like that. We don't know what kind of humor. I imagine Elvis had the same kind of humor that all the guys have when we're together and the locker room mentality and the locker room humor. So, uh, I think it, it was fun. I think, it didn't poke fun at Elvis. I thought it was a just a fun reference to him and over the top, and that's what it was supposed to be. So that that was. Uh, but I think I'm going to rewatch. I think I missed some of those references. You make you make the show sound pretty dang good, Tom. I got to tell you. Well, I, I was a TV producer in my earlier life, and uh, I have a habit of noticing things. I, I look at things that I'm not supposed to look at in a shot. Uh, at one point, when Elvis is with the, the 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 commander or the captain or whatever his name is, that the kind of the head of the Don Cheadle is the voice of the, the character, kind of the head of the organization in the background are people testing weapons. And there's a guy on top of a missile riding it like a bucking Bronco uh, with a cowboy hat up kind of in reference to slim Pickens from uh, Dr. Strangelove. So I noticed that in like a shot that lasted about two seconds. That's so great. I've got a weird habit of that. At one point there's a boat there on that looks like the Orca from that Jaws. Cool. I thought you would love that. Yeah. Um, they reference the Peabody hotel and the ducks in the lobby, which I thought was a nice, Very cool. a nice thing for them. Yeah. And, and here's the thing I really thought was interesting. They did reference, uh, scatters origin story mm-hmm. and, and in, 
the series in Agent Elvis, uh, and and I, you know what I got to tell you, I I couldn't read my own writing as to what his name was in the series. I'm uh, as as we do this, Alex, look this up for me. Uh, Alex Mitchell, our producer. Alex, can you look up the name of the uh, the man that owned Scatter in Agent Elvis? And I'll tell you while he's doing that, I'll tell you the real story of Scatter. And it goes something like this. There was a TV kid show host in Memphis, like this character was in Agent Elvis. And in reality, his name was Captain Bill Killebrew. And he had a, ch- a kid show on WHBQ in the afternoon. I watched it in the 60s when I was a kid. And he had a monkey. And the monkey was Scatter. And uh, it was brought to you by uh, Hearts Bread was the sponsor because Captain Bill actually, I think, worked for Hearts Bread in the PR department or something. And he would draw pictures of kids. You know, you're, he had a studio audience of kids and he would go to cartoons and he would come back and he would, you would give him an animal and he would draw an animal and then give him another animal and he'd put the legs to that animal on the first animal and he put the head to the third animal on that, you know. So he was that kind of guy. And he owned Scatter. And he, at one point, couldn't control Scatter anymore and got a little wild. I think got a little aggressive with a kid, um, as, you know, chimpanzees do. Uh, And for some reason, uh, Captain Bill, of course, Captain Bill's going to be friends with Elvis because that's just the way Memphis is. And Scatter ends up to go live at Graceland with Elvis and years later then to become an incredible part of the Agent Elvis series. So that's the real story. And an aside to that, there was a uh, a supermarket opening here in Tupelo in probably 1967, 68, and Captain Bill came to the uh, supermarket for the grand opening. My mother met him, brought me over, and I ended up going on Captain Bill's show like a couple of weeks later. Oh, cool. Uh, I guess that would be my first TV appearance, <laughs> 67, 60. I still, I found the other day, Jeff, I'm going through stuff. I found the big paper. Um, it's like newsprint paper that he used to sketch on. And I have his sketch of me, uh, that he signed to me to Tommy, uh, Captain Bill. And I found that I'll have to, I'll get that and send that to Alex and he can post it on our website where we put all of our, our visual information. Alex, do you have that? Do you have that, uh, that character name yet? That would be Cowboy Jeb. Cowboy Jeb. You know, it, it makes you wonder, Jeff, with all the other things they did in this series, disparaging people. Why they just couldn't use Captain Bill's real name? I know exactly. They had no trouble at all driving Robert, driving Robert Goulet through the uh, through the mud, but uh, somehow they wanted to save Captain Bill, and here I am to blow the story. So Scatter, you know, plays a part throughout the series. Um, it's interesting in all the disclaimers that they have at the beginning of the show. They didn't include bestiality, but hey, you know, I guess that was something they overlooked. I'm sure that the re-release will have that on it. Um, again, he was driving in the in the series. The things they got right, the three TVs on the wall downstairs in the TV room. Um, at Elvis's home in Los Angeles, it is a representation of the Hillcrest house, which is architecturally correct. Um, the peacocks are in the living room. The jungle room's represented. Uh, the music room with the piano. There's a fight scene in there. Uh, there's just a lot of things that that they do in this that um, I think my favorite. Uh, for Elvis fans, would be at one point in episode nine, I made a note that Elvis uh, pulls a phone out of his briefcase that is an exact replica of Elvis's phone in his briefcase that he had back in the 70s. And I, w- I want to point out, too, how cool it is we're getting anything new that's Elvis Presley. That is just so great. And, Tom, you mentioned that uh, you made uh, – and, by the way, I think we should be credited that uh, 
Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talking Podcast leaves no stone unturned when it comes to research. Thank you, Alex, for that. But well, <laughs> and the joke in Agent Elvis would be, we we leave no uh, turn unstoned. <laughs> That's right. Um, and you made your television appearance 1967. That would have been my earthly premiere was February of 1967. We actually went live to Oklahoma to the delivery room, uh, Jeff. <laughs> right. You probably don't remember that. Uh, it was a union thing, though. We couldn't have you shown on screen. <laughs> also, you know, at the Peabody, at one point in the Peabody, there is a, a, a black Elvis that is uh, referenced. And I thought of our friend Robert Washington, yes. who's been black Elvis for years. I thought, well, you know, they got a Robert Washington reference in there. Good for him. Yep. 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 Robert's so great. Such a great talent. In one of the final episodes, uh, when Scatter is in space, he's uh, banging on a satellite with a wrench and his hand goes up and it's a direct reference back to a 2001 scene when the monkeys uh, have the bone where they create a tool for the first time. Yeah. 2001, A Space Odyssey, just like the movie is playing. And I just, I like the the juxtaposition of all that kind of coming together. Uh, and uh, we might be promised a season two in the fact that at one point, they reference uh, Howard Hughes' cloning and saying, we're, we're going to need another Elvis. Well, I, uh, I got to tell you, if, if we've accomplished nothing else, everything that you figured out about this, I am going to go watch it again. I think I'm going to like it more this time. Well, th these are the kind of things that I look for. Uh, uh, another reference, uh, a couple of things really quick. Uh, Jack Lord was referenced, who was a friend of Elvis's. Uh, Kurt Russell was referenced, who uh, played Elvis in a movie and played with Elvis, and it happened at the World's Fair. And Walt Disney's head makes an appearance. So I, I think they, they brought a lot to the table on this. <laughs> they, they, they really did. And I got to give them credit for that. And now I'm kind of interested in going back and watching this again myself, uh, frankly. Uh, I, I definitely want to go back and rewatch uh, the uh, golden coins scene from Harem Scarum as they use that music. So, you know, if you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, there's another reason to watch it for the Elvisness. And we tried to bring you some of those Elvis things. And, and we invite you to... to if nothing else, to, to view it as we do, which is any opportunity to get Elvis out is a fantastic opportunity. And uh, just have to say, EPE had nothing to do with this series. They don't own Elvis's name and likeness. So, uh, and again, and Priscilla portrays herself in the, in the series, throughout the series. Uh, when Elvis is talking to Priscilla, that is the voice of Priscilla Presley. Ed Helms from The Office is the voice of Robert Goulet, mm -hmm. uh, who was also in uh, the, the Hangover. And so it's just kind of fun to see who some of the voices are and some of the characters, and we don't want to give you everything, but we invite you to go back and watch it and have a good time and, and just, you know, just have fun. Yeah. And, and if it's something that's going to offend you, by all means, do not do it. In the famous um, words of Sergeant Hulka, lighten up, Francis. Yeah. <laughs> one of these days, one of these men may save your life. And then again, maybe they won't. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back talking about uh, the month of May and Elvis history and May birthdays. And there's a, an interesting coincidence we found in researching our May birthdays that had escaped all of us until we prepared for this episode. So you cannot go away because we're not done talking. Right, Big Lou? That's right. Tupelo Tom and Big Lou back. And Big Lou? The month of May has some, not a lot of uh, notable birthdays, but the few that we have are quite notable. Uh, the first of the month of May would be a gentleman uh, born in 1926 named Dewey Phillips, uh, the DJ that was on WHBQ that was the guy that played That's All Right, Mama, the big boom of rock and roll. He was the DJ 
in Memphis back in the day. And you know, it's interesting. We may have told this story in our first podcast. Um, and if so, I'll just kind of touch on it. If we haven't told it, we'll tell it more detail, but how cool is it that our great friend Wink Martindale was at the radio station, worked for, um, WHBQ and was there when Dewey spun that's right mama for the first time. And when he talks about the electricity of all the lights and the phone lighting up and he had to find Gladys to find Elvis. Yeah. Wink was the one that made the call to the home, uh, after they were playing the song on the radio, Wink was at the the radio station that evening showing some friends of his, the, where he worked at the radio station. I think he was probably 18, 19 yeah. years old. And, uh, it, it was in the, uh, it was in the mezzanine level of the Chiska Hotel, but Dewey called it the magazine level of the Chiska <laughs> Hotel. Uh, Dewey had a way with the uh, uh, the, the language uh, back in the day. And, and Jeff, you know, you're like me. You grew up in a town where in that era uh, of the 60s and 70s even, the DJ in your hometown was a big deal. Yes. He was a star. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Matter of fact, my best friend, who sadly is no longer with us, Mike Owens, was a DJ for KXY. And uh, Lynn Wagner, KBC, and uh, they're still part of our uh, lexicon here on daily and sports radio here, of course, where I live. Uh, you have Al Ashback, my friend Barry Trammell, who's a writer, and uh, Jim Traber, all these great sports guys. Uh, they're celebrities in it to this day, you know, so yeah. I can imagine back then, especially with rock and roll. With rock and roll and Dewey Phillips playing the music that uh... – you know, corporately, uh, nobody was making the decision other than the disc jockey usually back in that day. Mm-hmm. And Dewey played what he liked and he played music that uh, sounded good. And uh, I, I love how Wink said that when uh, when Dewey was talking to Elvis on the phone, when he asked Elvis where he went to high school and when Elvis said Humes, that was a signal that everybody knew that this is a white boy yeah. singing this singing this music. I mean, I, I think that's uh, quite brave of Dewey. And uh, I love that, that Wink was there. Uh, and that famous story, you know, Elvis so nervous he couldn't be home when the song was on. He mm-hmm. went to the movie and they tracked him down and got him into the studio. And Dewey interviewed him. And when it was over, Elvis says, "When are we going to do the interview?" And Dewey said, "We just did." <laughs> that's great. That's just uh, that's just one of those legends that man. I hope it's true. And according to Wink, it is. So yeah. I'm going to take that. But uh, here's the strange thing, though. Dewey, born in 26, died in 1968, 42 years old. Wow! Wow! Same as Elvis. Yep. And I'm about to blow your head off again because something else I found out, another birthday, that woman we love, Linda Thompson. Yes. Her birthday is May 23rd, born in 1950. And the next day, born five years prior, Priscilla Presley. Wow. In 1945. It it was, I was today years old when I found out that Linda and Priscilla had a birthday one day apart. I'll be, you know, uh, you know, you're friends with Priscilla. I know Linda very well. Matter of fact, had lunch with Sam oh, a few weeks ago. And Linda's sense of humor is great. Both of the ladies are just still beautiful. And it's really cool to to know them and, and know somebody that was such a huge part of Elvis's life. It is. And 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 they both have such a, a, a love of Elvis and a respect for the fans, which I think is quite amazing. Uh and especially with me being friends with Priscilla, uh, you know, I know the the family's been going through some things now, and I and I, you know, like a lot of people, I wish uh, would do. I'm, I'm holding off judgment. In, in fact, I I don't try to pass judgment on what's going on in people's lives because I don't know all the facts. Yeah, 
And uh, those are pesky things that get in the way sometimes. But my love goes out to her for her birthday. Uh, she's been wonderful to me. And I think I've told this before on the podcast, whenever we're, I'm with her, usually with my wife, Lisa, we talk about um, grandkids and we talk about uh, dogs. And, and if Elvis ever enters the conversation, it's something she brought up. But uh, I thank the day when, when Jerry Schilling, after years of knowing Jerry, when Jerry trusted me enough one night to invite me to dinner with a friend and didn't tell me. And it was I walked in and I was like, OK, I got to be cool uh, on the short walk to the table because that's Priscilla Presley sitting there. And the way I met Linda, I actually interviewed her. Uh, this was during COVID, so it was on, on a laptop. And then I was fortunate enough to get to meet her and Tupelo, as a matter of fact, and we hit it off. She's so funny. She has a great sense of humor. I had her laughing about something. She goes, I need to sneak you into my suitcase and take you back to uh, California with me. I said, that wouldn't be a tough negotiation. She said, pack a <laughs> toothbrush, you know, laughed. But just to give you an idea of how fun she is. And when we were in Las Vegas, I came out, I was emceeing a show at the Westgate. And I told the audience, I said, I'm so disappointed in all of you. And I said, uh, all these rumors and things. I see sometimes a guy's life needs to be just private. And I said, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you, but you just can't tell anybody. Don't put it on Facebook. Of course, you know, there's hundreds of people there. And I said, yes, it's true. Linda and I are dating. <laughs> and everybody laughed and she walked out on stage and made fun of me and just played right along with it. And one of the coolest moments of that weekend was we were backstage and, and they had this little area set up. We we're calling it a uh, big Lou's bungalow. And uh, it was right <laughs> off stage, right. And you know where the elevator is? Yeah, yeah. And she came back there with her friend. It was me and Bill Cherry, actually. And she was just telling us stories. And stories that weren't in her book that she probably didn't talk a lot about. And uh, at one point, she looked at me. She goes, now, I can get out this way, correct? And I go, no, no, Linda, you have to go around this way. And she kind of looked at me like, really? <laughs> like, I've been on this. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, you've been here before, hadn't you? <laughs> Just a little, just a little, just a little bit. Yeah, she was a, a part of the uh, Tupelo Elvis Festival, and uh, I, I did a conversation with her for the entire hour. And the pre-show music that we played as people were coming into the arena before the uh, interview, I had selected uh, songs by artists that she had written for. That she, I, I, I selected songs that she had co-written, recorded by many different artists. And she came into my dressing room, knocked on the door about five minutes before we went out. She said, "I just." I just realized all the music that you're playing, it's my music. And I said, well, yeah, I wanted everybody to hear your music That's so great. they can, you can talk about it. So she was just so, you know, amazed that I had thought to do that. And though telling this story makes me look incredibly wise, it's a story about her being like a kid, so excited that people were hearing her music, yeah. knowing that I was, we were going to talk about it later that, that they had been listening to it. So we say happy birthday to, to both Linda and to Priscilla. Now, the date that we're going to look at in May, really just a couple of things we, we found out in May that we wanted to talk about. The first one, uh, it was an episode or so ago in March where we were talking about in early March, maybe the 5th, the 7th, the 8th, something like that. Elvis was back from the Army, and it was May 2nd. Now, he's just think of this. He lands in the U.S. in first week of March, goes to Nashville to record the first half of Elvis's Back, goes to Florida to shoot the Sinatra Timex special, comes back to Nashville. Elvis's Back is out, and May 2nd, 
he starts shooting GI Blues in Hollywood. Wow. So he's been back since early March. He's already shooting GI Blues, which will be out uh, at Christmas in 1960. Colonel Parker wasted no time, and he got that young man right back to work. And Elvis was the big, biggest star in the world once again within two months of arriving home. Incredible. Exactly. And what a perfect way to come back as a GI. Yeah. As a, as a tank soldier, just as he was in real life. Yeah. So I always thought that was kind of a great use of that. And the other big date from May, May 1st, 1967. Elvis married Priscilla at the Aladdin Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm. May's a pretty important month in Elvis's life, I'd say. It is. And, and you know, you can go to the Aladdin Hotel today. It looks nothing like it looked back in the day. And Elvis, really one of the uh, first big celebrities to do the Vegas wedding uh, real big. And, and, you know, as much as we wish it had been something private, he, he wanted to share it. And had they had newsreel cameras there. And uh, it's just one of those historic things. We've all seen the film about it. And I know... Uh, from talking to Priscilla that when she sees it, she sees it entirely differently than we do. You know, it was a, a very special moment for her. And it was nine months to the day yeah. that uh, in fe on February 1st, that Lisa Maria was born. Yeah. yeah. Well, happy May dates and happy May birthdays. That's right. And coming up, we're going to take another quick break. And then we're going to talk about some festivals that have happened in the past and our thoughts and memories of those. And we'll take a look at what is coming down the pike for Elvis festivals in the future. So stick around. We're not done talking. Tupelo Tom and Big Lou continue to talk, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and right now it's that time of the evening when uh, we like to sit back and talk about things that we did in the past because we know they're done and we can, we can talk about them now and relax a little <laughs> bit because when you're in the moment, they're a little stressful. And uh, this is an interesting episode, Jeff. And one of the reasons, as we said at the top, that, uh, slowed us down a little bit in getting this episode posted uh, is the fact that the Nashville Elvis Festival, which I host and co-produce with Brian Mays, uh, took place back uh, March 30th through April 2nd, and then followed just a few days later by the Jeff Lewis and Friends Festival in Helen, Georgia. And uh, once again, Jeff, you returned to Nashville triumphantly as the uh, king of the after party at our hotel. And uh, before I talk about kind of what we did during the festival itself, I sit back amazed at how you can read a room. Uh, we're in the lobby of the Spring Hill Suites Hotel there in Franklin, and the lights are up. It's not intimate at all. It's just, it's like a, it almost is like a Piccadilly cafeteria in there. And, but you're able to find a way to get everything going. And uh, the thing I really like about your after parties in Nashville and some of the festivals are the fact that you make such an effort to get the young guys up there, the contestants. It's an opportunity. You tell them all, this is your opportunity to meet your fans. It's an infomercial. And, you know, the thing about after parties I joke about, uh, when I started doing these, all of a sudden every festival had an after party and everybody started doing after parties. And I don't think people really get what they are. Um, they've become, they started out just to kind of be a chance for all the guys, just have a few drinks, relax and get crazy. At certain festivals, they've become part of the show, you know, Elvis week and mm -hmm. at my festival, and there's still jam sessions. But the fun part about it is I, I joke, it's kind of like being the Terminator or Iron Man. Like when you, you're, you've got this program in your head, you're looking at things and you're thinking chess moves, five moves ahead. What's working? How's the flow of the party going? Uh, are there certain guys that'd be fun to have them on stage at the same time? And it's, so it's part math. Uh, it's part being on a stage 
I got on the stage at 10 years old for the first time of being 46 years of reading audiences from four <laughs> drunks at Buster's in Edmond with my hillbilly band to 44,000 at Milwaukee Brewers Stadium where I sang the national anthem, you know. And uh, and it doesn't hurt that, that with a guy like Elvis giving us so much material to sing and people singing songs that are Elvis-esque, you know, whether they do, you know, Alex does this great Tom Jones thing and some country music. And, uh, and then, of course, in Nashville, it was so great. The young guys that were so excited to get up on stage and perform at the after parties and be themselves. So you get just a glimpse of who they are, not just as Elvis tribute artists, but as performers and guys. And that was a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I look back at my own uh, life back at that age and I was listening to, to everything that was on the radio and I was catching up on fifties and sixties rock and roll from my mom's record collection and getting stuff. And, and the fact that, you know, Chuck Berry and those guys and Jerry Lee had only that it had only been maybe 10 years before. And to the fact that these kids now are going back and, you know, the, the, the Riley's and, uh, and the people like that and the, and the uh, Finley's and they're, they know this stuff more. I, I assume they listen to current music, but I don't know when they would have time. Mm -hmm. They're learning all these obscure fifties and sixties rock and roll songs. And I think this is just going to continue on, yeah. not just Elvis, but that kind of music. You know, I remember reading a quote years ago and they asked Tom Petty uh, about, you know, how long is, is rock and roll going to last? He goes, it'll last as long as somebody remembers how to tune a guitar. Yeah, that's right. As long as they can remember that, uh, it'll, it'll just keep going. And there was a young girl in Helen. Uh, we'll talk about that more, but we're doing a day show. I think she was 10, 8, 10 years old, something like that. She knew, I was watching her as the guys were singing every single Elvis song from the movie songs to the 70s to the 50s. She knew every single word and she was singing right along with them. It was incredible. Wow. Then, And you know what? That's a testament to parents and grandparents, That's too, right. I have to say. That yeah. was somebody, as, as we always say, you get the kids to Elvis and Elvis will take care of the rest. You know? <laughs> right. uh, in Nashville, we kicked things off with uh, Ted Torres, who did the 68 comeback special in the round. We had that 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 squared stage where uh, he got to come out and kind of prowl like a panther like Elvis did in the 68 comeback. That's how we kicked things off. Um, we had uh, our ultimate uh, contest on Friday and Saturday, had some incredible judges. Uh, we had Sam Thompson, we had Joey Sulapek, and the actress Sloane Avery, who's in a, a new series on Amazon television called The Consultant. We had Donna Tutt. Uh, we had... Uh, uh, Christy Emmons Jones, who is Dixie Locke's daughter. Um, and, and we had Sam Thompson of the Memphis mafia. And it, it, so it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity. I, I love having people, especially people like Joey, who had seen so many tribute artists over the years, hosting the ultimate to be able to finally be a judge. Cause he knows he's an Elvis fan, but he knows what he's looking at and he mm. knows what to look for. Yeah. And Sloan Avery, the actress, uh, is a huge Elvis fan, actually was born and grew up in Franklin. And it's interesting to get her perspective on the performers because she's looking at it as an Elvis fan, but also as a performer herself. So she's looking at different things than all the other judges are looking at. Um, and we're very happy that Riley Jenkins will be representing Nashville in August. Um, you know, I, Colonel Tom here has had his eye on young Riley for a number of years, <laughs> Jeff. Uh before he was old enough to even qualify as a contestant, we had him in Nashville 
in, I believe it was 2019, Jeff. Uh, yep. Represent Elvis with a recreation of Louisiana Hayride. And he is an encyclopedia. Ronnie's a great kid, studies Elvis, loves Elvis. You can, you know, he'll go, well, Elvis wore blue socks on Tuesday, uh, 1960, February, whatever. It's incredible. <laughs> Uh, and you also had, who else performed, uh, there in Nashville headliners, Cody down at, we had Cody there recreate the, uh, Aloha from Hawaii, uh, concert in its entirety, including the throwing of the Cape, mm -hmm. which didn't luckily didn't take anybody's head off because I put that <laughs> Cape on and it could have, trust me. We had, uh, Ben Thompson was in town, uh, for a headliner show with Alex, our producer at, uh, on a Friday afternoon. And then Friday night we had Elvis love songs, which was an idea concept from my co-producer, Brian. Uh, Cliff Wright and his incredible band uh, sat down and had charts created for a string section. And we had love songs from Elvis that uh, the guys that uh, Cody and Ted and Ben and, uh, and, and Culifer, Michael Culifer and Alex Mitchell were able to sing on stage. And so it was just a great opportunity. Our, our producers out there nodding his head, like this was just a a, a wonderful moment. And Alex, you've told me that th that was just a dream come true. And you've actually heard some tapes of kind of what the audience heard. You guys sometimes on stage can't hear a full mix of what's happening on stage, but tell us about what's it like to sing with a string section. It, it was absolutely probably the classiest thing that I have done <laughs> on stage so far. And Cliff Wright, the d music director for the Infinity Tribute Band, sent me a clip of It's Impossible. And just hearing those strings, we're so used to it being like a keyboard or some MIDI orchestration. It's just fantastic. That's cool. And and I, I greatly appreciate, uh, I, I threw a, a special request. I very seldom interfere with the headliners and performers shows. I feel like they know what they want to sing. I'm not going to tell them what to sing. But in this case, being a co-producer and the host, I thought, uh, I, I texted Coat and I said, Coat, just for me, can you please... Uh, work into the love songs uh my wife lisa's favorite elvis song almost in love and they did and they had a string section for it and i got to dance with lisa during oh, the concert to that's that great. over on the site it was great so that was a cool thing i i suggest anybody that's producing their own festival have a moment like that for yourself yeah, yes it's, it's kind of a neat thing we also did uh, a show jeff that i really love it's called elvis through the years and it kind of tells the story of elvis from 54 to 77 and uh I get to kind of narrate the little linking parts, but uh, but Coat and Michael Culifer and Ben Thompson all participated in that. We had a special guest kick off Act Two. Sam Thompson came out on stage and talked to me for a few minutes to kind of give his memories. So so excited! I love that show. I think that's a show that could go on, can go across the country, around the world. It's just a great thing. And Alex, I know you're a part of the technical crew on that, so it's it just. Congratulations to you. That's just a great, a yeah. great show to tell Elvis' story, especially for new fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because not everybody, like you've said before, not everybody knows everything about Elvis, like, you know, and has studied him. You know, we did a show, um, I wrote a show once called Elvisision, and it went through all of his television appearances from the the Dorsey brothers up through the, the 77 special. So uh, it, it that's real cool when you have people come up to you after a festival and after one of your shows that you produce and they say, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was so yeah. cool. That's, 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 that's great. And uh, also on the night of the finals, uh, as we were having our top 10 do two songs back to back, our, our last year's champion came to perform his victory concert, Michael Chambliss. Yes. And he said it was so much more enjoyable this year. He wasn't nervous <laughs> having to win a contest. Uh, 
to be able to come back. I think it's so important for that, that champion every year to come back and do a full set to show people like, yeah, this is what I do. This is why I won. And uh, Michael's just one of those kind of performers. So multi-talented. And Jeff, you utilized him so much in Helen. So multi-talented with his music knowledge yes. of all kinds of music. Of course, you know, Michael and I grew up singing Southern gospel music. And uh, at the after party, we actually sang the Blackwood Brothers version of Learning to Lane Acapella or acapella and, and Helen. So uh, just singing with him. Uh, and, and, and I noticed we did a, a help me together uh, during the gospel show. And, and it's fun to, um, or actually during a show in Helen, we kind of had the same little uh, in and out kind of things with the gospel uh, music that as, as experienced gospel singers do without even, planning it or rehearsing it. And that was great. But Michael's a great guy, a great singer, and definitely a great representative of, of all the champions you had in Nashville, as will Riley will be the same. Uh, looking forward to him coming back as a reigning ultimate champion after August. That's my prediction, but that's just my prediction. <laughs> also, uh, Jeff, really quick, a couple of the things that ended our festival in, in Franklin on uh, that Sunday night, we had the ultimate Johnny and June tribute, uh, Cliff Wright and Casey that were there doing Johnny and June. Great. And I was hearing from so many people that just so were blown away by that show because I think it was just so different. And it was just a great little diversion from all the Elvis that we'd been doing, clearing the stage then for Bill Cherry to conclude our festival on Sunday yes. night. But the Johnny and June was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, she's a, Casey's a great entertainer and professional and Cliff, of course, is fantastic. And they have a great electricity and and chemistry between them when they do that show and uh if you have not seen it you will uh it's great and uh we'll have it at more festivals coming up and the band was fantastic uh infinity is that right yep yep okay they were great radney pennington in the band uh you know jody mcdowell michaela his daughter uh just everybody involved or daniel on drums too that's right he's great yeah. man he's great Hey, how much pressure on him as a drummer playing in front of Donna Tut during right. the contest? Right. He was when I he didn't know she was out there, and I said, "Oh, by the way, I uh, just wanted to let you know Donna Tut is out in the audience <laughs> as a judge." And he said, "As in Ronnie Tut?" I said, "As in Mrs. Ronnie Tut." And she she made a point of coming up to him after the first show that she saw him drumming and just talked to him, and he looked like a five-year-old that got a new toy for Christmas. He was so excited. She loved what he did. And Tom, it, it, you don't have people at a festival walk up to you and talk about how great the band is. And that's yeah. all I kept hearing all weekend. So they, they did a great job. It was a fantastic festival. It was a fantastic festival, Jeff. But the one thing I've left to the very end to talk about, because I know you, you were so excited by this. It was our, our gospel live on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock with all the, the headliners that were there, including our new winner, uh, Riley Jenkins, but also a member of the Imperials Quartet, Terry Blackwood, returned to the Nashville Elvis Festival. Alex is a big gospel music historian and singer as well. Uh, we knew we uh, are a huge fan of the quartet music. And for me, Alex and Michael, I know for all the guys, but us three specifically, being the gospel fans we are, I've gotten to know Terry over the years. It, it was so cool to walk in. I was going to introduce myself, and he looked at me and goes, oh, hey, Jeff. And I was going, hey, 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 you know, and, uh, and <laughs> to, uh, to be able to sit with him. And and I would 
kind of throw out some of the old uh, Pentecostal jokes like, uh, come on, y'all quit being a bunch of Baptists, get up and clap. And, and Terry, <laughs> Terry would just laugh because he knew where I was coming from. And we were all just like little kids in a candy store. And Tom, I got to thank you. Because of Nashville, we've now had the opportunity to sing with Donnie Sumner, Bill Bays, Larry Strickland, and Terry Blackwood. And who am I thinking of? The bass singer for the Imperials. My mind just went blank. Armand? Yes, yes. And we got to sing with him as well. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, over the years. And uh, Terry's just always had one of the most beautiful voices. And as we both learned during the gospel show, uh, Terry's the one that... Um, put together the arrangement for Elvis's version of he touched me. Yeah. He, he, Elvis basically did the Imperials version yeah. uh, to win his Grammy award for that yeah, song. That was great. And, and to see Terry, you know, uh, he, he came in and he was there for sound check and uh, he, he didn't know if the band would know every, and the band knew every, he, yeah. he would just like 30 seconds into the first rehearsal. He was like, these guys know everything. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, and, and this kind of applies to Daniel and, and the Ronnie Tut reference, which is just as much as the entertainers, uh, the headliners study Elvis, Cliff studies James Burton and Scotty Moore. And yeah. Radney studies Bill Black and Jerry Sheff. And Daniel yeah. studies DJ and Ron. I mean, yeah. everybody kind of goes to their woodshed to work on that artist. And uh, here's the thing about Cliff you're not going to, the audience might not know. Usually during a festival, you're there, everybody had the songs in advance, and you're locked in, and when the show's over, you go hang out in the dressing room, get something to eat, and do the next show. I don't think there was one time during the festival in Nashville that Cliff didn't have the band up rehearsing between shows with the next artists that were going to be performing. Yeah, and i tell you too, Joni McDowell is the best piano player I've ever worked with, but if he gets lost or if he can't figure a lookout you know what he does he calls glenn harden and goes hey glenn how did you play that that's a true story yeah, yeah. and jason parks back on keyboards that's doing right. all the big sounds and everything and he's got all kinds of sound effect things back there i'm gonna go through his little box of tricks next time and see what i can play he has sticks he has little clappers little uh, castanets he's got everything back there jason does and he scared us to death poor guy got food poisoning he had to call an ambulance he rallied back and came back and played the final shows that's right, because he's a pro. That's what yep. you do. Yep. You know, they were there to see a show and they were there to hear those castanets, and by gosh, he was going to play them. <laughs> That's right. So thank you so much, Jeff. That was just a great time in Nashville. And 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 from there, a lot of people uh maybe hung out a day or two in Nashville, went into Nashville, and maybe they headed on to Helen, but by Wednesday night, things were ramping up in Helen at the Unicoi Lodge. Yeah, we had um that was a, a night, the opening night, we had a, a Hawaiian songs that guys picked out and then Bill Cherry closed the opening night. And I love on Thursday when people come up to me after our Wednesday night headliner shows and they say, I could go home right now. It was already worth the money, you know? <laughs> and so when that happens when you see Bill Cherry and all the guys uh, introducing each one of them as they come out and do a couple of songs. Then we had the big after party, uh, which was so much fun. And, Thursday, we had daytime shows. Alex would, we kind of did a little different. Our producer, Alex Mitchell here, uh, we had kind of a featured act. So everybody would sing the tracks. And then our final act during the day, Alex would interview a little bit and talk about, and we'll have some of that on our uh, uh, podcast here. And then we had a songwriter show where we featured uh, acts, famous acts like Larry Gatlin, Mac Davis, Jerry Reed, who had careers mm -hmm. 
themselves, but also wrote songs for Elvis. So I would do, say, like Houston by uh, Larry Gatlin, and uh, we did uh, Lubbock, Texas, and Maruvia Mirror by Mac Davis. And then an act would come out, like Cody Dalneth would come out and do all the songs that Mac Davis wrote for Elvis. Mm-hmm. So that was a unique, and you and I talked about the songwriters in the background, and, and so many people came up to me and said that was one of the coolest shows I've ever seen. I loved hearing the stories and you and Tom talking about it. So we kind of had a live podcast there, and that was really cool. We did the Aloha from Hawaii recreation, and it was one of those special moments where I had five different guys come out one at a time, and it ended with all five of them on the stage during Can't Help. And at the very end, Cody gets on one knee with the cape extended, and the four guys behind him kind of formed a human cape behind him standing up. And Elmar got an incredible picture of that. So you can see that on ETA festivals on Facebook or, or any of those. You can see it on my Facebook page. If you can get over there, we, we may post it on our podcast page too. Uh, but it was just uh, an exciting, had great shows. Of course, Dean Z and Ben Thompson had headliner shows on uh, Saturday night. And, you know, Ben, of course, did kind of a 68 tribute without doing the actual show necessarily killed it as always he's so talented he's an ultimate winner as well and then yeah. simply the best entertainer that we have in our business dean z and i want to take the opportunity dean had just got back from brazil and he was wore out and i said i tell you what fly in on friday relax rest up we don't want you getting sick and then just do your show saturday on his way in friday he wasn't supposed to do anything i get this text from him hey coach he calls me coach i call him franchise man is there any way i can play drums at the after party tonight. I said, dude, you don't have to do anything. He goes, no, man. He goes, I can't take it. I can't take watching you guys do these after parties and me not be there. That's just the kind of guy he is. Uh, and of course he, as he always does, he actually did uh, early seventies of which, which I had not seen him do. I'd seen him do the, that's the way it is, but he did like more of a 72. Yeah. yeah. And, he did and, 72 San Antonio, I think is what it was. Oh, it was so great. And so the performers is always, Brought it during the after parties. The fans were fantastic. We call Jeff Lewis and friends in Helen, and it was licensed by Elvis Presley Enterprises, which was our first Helen one to be that way. But it's like our Elvis vacation. We're not going to do spring next year. We're going to hold it back to just the fall, but it's like our one getaway where you get to spend more time with the entertainers. There's no stress, and uh, we're already selling out for the fall. So go to jefflewisandfriends.com and sign up and we have limited availability left. It will sell out, but uh, I can't wait to do it again in the fall. And uh, it was just a, it was a great spring fever. And you had one performer that we really kind of got to know. He was an ultimate champion a couple of years ago, and we really didn't know him that well. It's kind of like the mafia. There's no way out. There's only one way out and it's usually uh, feet first. So Pat Dunn is a part of the family. Yeah. Pat Dunn. I'm so glad you brought him up. I can't believe I almost forgot to tell this story. Uh, first of all, Pat is an actor, a great actor, and a phenomenal singer. And it's easy to make fun of this stuff, but as an actor myself, I know what he's talking about. He has to prep. He has to understand what he's doing. And then he knocks it out of the park. Well, he had never been a part of one of our after parties. And it's a big deal. I mean, these after parties are, you know, they've kind of become things of legend. And so Pat, rather than taking the stage the first night for the after party, he came up with a brilliant idea of he would go find empty, empty seats in the crowd 
and he would just like he was like a seat filler at the Oscars, and he would have fun, and it, it was so hilarious. I thought, what a great original idea. But the highlight, one of the biggest highlights for me, was during the day we uh, kind of featured him during one of the afternoon shows, and uh, it was the same room that I remember the first year we had Helen ten years ago. I remember having a girl on my shoulders and we were doing chicken fights in that room. And now here we are, Pat Dunn singing Bring Him Home from Les Mis. Uh, I'm not embarrassed to say it. It was so beautiful. That you could hear a pin drop and I was crying. I didn't even know. I was like, what is this? Why, what are these tears coming out of my eyes? And I hugged his neck and he goes, so you think I'm good enough? Maybe one day I can sing upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but Pat was fantastic. And what a great guy. He's a lot of fun. He was, he was a lot of fun. And at one of the after parties, uh, he threw some Shakespeare up and I, th I met him and threw my, my Shakespeare up. And when we, uh, I did Hamlet's advice to the players and, uh, it was a, a piece I learned in, at Ole Miss in, cause you should always have one Shakespeare in your back pocket. And I told him, I said, man, I'm glad you didn't come back with any more Shakespeare. I only know one monologue. He goes, me too. That's all I know. <laughs> and so we literally went from singing Queenie Wahini to doing Shakespeare. Yeah, exactly. It's there's everything at the Jeff Lewis and Friends Festival, including I guess we missed the chicken fights, but I get you know maybe one day they'll come back. I don't know. One thing that is always a highlight for me, Tom, uh, David Lee. I mean, ultimate winner. Oh, yes, his he changed how we have theme nights in in Helen, yep. and the guys normally didn't dress up or performing. The first one David showed up at, he did full blown Ric Flair, and mm -hmm. he of course David is such a funny guy anyway. Uh, and he said, Oh, I can get out. It is make the new guy dress up. Nobody else dresses up. <laughs> so I called it the David Lee rule where now I make the guys dress up and Jacob Roman always does a fantastic job. Oh yeah. But David, he did a tribute to Conway and I'm real protective of Conway and his image. Cause he was one of my favorite all time singers and performers. And David Lee, as he does with his Elvis tribute, just kills it and does a great job. And he's just such a great guy. If you don't like David Lee, you just don't like people. And I love the guy. I always say that if uh, if you if you give me an audience of people who are not there to see Elvis, you give me David Lee, and within twenty minutes he'll have them standing up cheering. I mean he 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 will take no prisoner uh, from the audience, and there is nothing he will not do costume wise, whether it's coming dressed as Tara, his wife, one year, <laughs> me, or or taking the toga theme night to heart and and putting on some kind of lacy sandal things that he must have watched a YouTube video of how to do it. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> he came as me one time. And then of course he's, he's got a family member that'll make an appearance every now and then cousin Jethro, who's one of a kind. Oh my goodness. Uh, you have seen nothing. And, and by the way, don't make eye contact with cousin Jethro. You'll be in the show, <laughs> but David Lee's amazing. And by the way, if you're a performer, then you're kind of shaky on the lyrics, always sit next to David Lee. That's right. Well, I thank everybody for coming and I look forward to, uh, to doing it again in the fall. And I guess we have a festival coming up. There's one coming up and uh, we're on our way in just a couple of weeks as we record this, uh, headed to Illinois and Collinsville, Illinois, uh, right across the river from St. Louis. It's the Illinois Elvis Festival, fully licensed by Graceland and uh, produced by uh, yourself and, and Cody Dana. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I'd had the idea for doing something in that area for a long time. And uh, I'm so glad it's finally coming together. This will likely end up being one of our uh, biggest festivals in time, I think. It's already selling incredibly well. So you can visit 
IllinoisElvisFestival.com for information or ETAFestivals.com for tickets. This show is going to be incredible. We've got our headliners, Dean Z, Bill Cherry, Ben Thompson, David Lee. How's that for four ultimates right out of the shoot? Our producer, Alex Mitchell, Michael Colifer, and Jesse Aaron. Wait till you hear that guy sing. My gosh, if you hadn't heard Jesse, get ready. Uh, Cody Delneth, we all know what a powerhouse and hopefully soon to be ultimate champion as well. Uh, of course, you and I'll be there, Tom. Jimmy Holmes will be there. He is great. He's kind of really new on the scene and just knocking him dead everywhere he goes. The young Finley Watkins, the phenom. You can't even call him a, a child prodigy anymore. He is a full-blown, incredible talent. Matter of fact, one of the highlights for the Jeff Lewis and friends was we did a tribute show, and he did Dwight Yoakam, and I was fortunate enough to tour and open on the streets of Bakersfield uh, tour with Dwight Yoakam and Buck Owens. And I came out as Buck and we got to sing streets of Bakersfield <laughs> together. It was so great. And we got including special... the red, white, and blue guitar. That's right. I had the red, white, and blue guitar and, and Finley was perfect. And it was like going back in time, you know, and we got special guest Everett Dean and Landon uh, James will be with us and they'll be singing their locals there. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So come, come see us, come say hi. And don't forget to, uh, email us um, at Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talking at gmail.com and come by and say hi. We'll have a booth set up there. Yeah, and and don't be thrown by the Illinois uh, Elvis Festival name. It's right across the river in Illinois from St. Louis, Collinsville, right across the river from St. Louis. And the ho- our host hotel, the Doubletree Suites mm-hmm. uh, by Hilton, you could walk to the arena where all the shows are going to be. So And Collinsville, this is very important, very important. It's also the home of the largest ketchup bottle in the world. That's right. Uh, the Brooks Ketchup Bottle, the Water Tower. And I was a part of a radio show back in the 90s uh, that did the fundraiser. Uh, we, we brought the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile to St. <laughs> Louis and Collinsville. And uh, we did a fundraiser uh, to, to, to raise money to paint the Collinsville, the Brooks Ketchup Bottle Water Tower. And uh, my producer that was on that show back in the 90s, uh, Karen Kelly is going to be one of my guests. Uh, I have a lot of friends. See, I was in St. Louis, Jeff, for about 10 years yes. on television and the radio. So I've only been back one time since 98 when I left. Oh, wow. Uh, I was there 88 to 98. And if anybody in St. Louis is listening, I worked at WKDNL uh, television, and I was on the radio with J.C. Corcoran and Smash over at KC95. So there's just a lot of history for me in that area. So it's fun for me to go back triumphantly on stage, Jeff. Thank you for that opportunity. You'll be able to see the, the gateway arch gateway to the West and uh, on the Mississippi river there. And it's just going to be a great festival. Come see us and uh, we'll have a lot of fun as we always do. And if it's your, if it's, if you're a first timer, be sure and let us know. We've found more and more people that have just discovered this crazy fun world and welcome to the crazy and fun Elvis family. We love all of you. I guarantee you it won't be your last festival. Oh, also, while you're there, one of the most famous record stores in the world is in St. Louis, the Record Exchange. Yep. And our friend Bev Havner and her husband own it. That's been in films. Uh, You kind of have to see it to believe it. It's so amazing. And, and Jeff, I used to go there when I lived there and didn't know Bev at the time. Uh, but wow. I have this—I have a lot of records. I, I'm still a vinyl person, so I was buying records there back in the day when I lived there in the 90s. Oh, wow. And it's on 5320 Hampton Avenue there in St. Louis, and it's the Record Exchange. So be sure and stop by there. And I can't remember the name of it, Tom, you'll know, but isn't there like a off Route 66 there, a custard shop or ice cream? Uh, Ted, Ted Drew's. That's it. 
Yeah. It's the it's a concrete, they call it, and they hand it to you upside down. Yeah, it's fantastic. The spoon is sticking in it and they hand it to you upside down. <laughs> uh, I'll be having a Ted Drew's concrete and an Emo's pizza, and I might have to go back to the hill to get some toasted ravioli. There you go. Well, that's a look back at the festivals from the past, a preview of Illinois from the future. What else the future holds? We have no idea, but I guarantee you one of us will make a note about it and we'll talk about it on the next edition of this podcast. You've been listening to Talking with Big Lou and Tupelo Tom, but Jeff will end as we always do. Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And and we're we're done talking. If you've enjoyed this episode of Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talkin', please visit us online at www.tupelotombiglutalkin.com and on Instagram and Twitter at Tupelo Tom Big Lou or drop us a line at tupelotombiglou at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by executive producers Jeff Lewis and Tom Brown, producer and editor Alex Mitchell, Technical advisor, Michael Cullifer. Promotions and marketing advisor, Cody Dayanath. And also in part by our sponsors and listeners like you. Do you have an Elvis-related event that you'd like featured on Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talkin'? Email us at TupeloTomBigLou at gmail.com to find out more. So, Jeff, I'm getting ready to pack for Illinois. What are you, uh, what are you bringing? Well... See, my problem is I'm in my garage right now where I have all my Burt Reynolds stuff and my autographed helmets, my longest yard stuff. I, I'm probably not going to, but I'm thinking about bringing one of my Burt cups that was in his office just to drink out of and say, yeah, I'm just sitting here drinking out of a Burt Reynolds cup. What are you doing? Yeah. Nothing. Okay, good. And I'm, I'm going to bring my Burt Reynolds cufflinks. I'll be, I'll, I'll have those. Those are pretty much always on stage with me, the BR cufflinks. So uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, Reynolds cups and cuffs. Yeah, that's cups and cuffs. And uh, by the way, Jeff, I've got some ex-girlfriends around the St. Louis area. Giggity. So if uh, if uh, I, I might need security, if you've got if you guys have got security, I might. There may be a situation. One for the team, just for you, Top. There you go. Well, you could take two, actually. See you in Illinois, brother. See ya. <laughs>